know, Christianity is unique in that um, you can come to church on a Sunday morning and celebrate the birth of the child, and then you come back on Sunday night and you have a remembrance of his death. And um, it works out well that way because throughout his entire life, 33 years of living, his birth was always intertwined with his death. And even um, as we looked at today, when the angel came to Joseph, he said that he has come to save people from their sins. And so to save someone from their sins, knowing that in the Bible it says the penalty of sin is death, and if someone's going to save you from death, oftentimes that means they are giving their own life, which is that exactly what he did. And so it's an interesting life when you just sort of watch the life of Jesus and watch the life of, of Mary and Joseph as, uh, as they travel and journey through life. In chapter 2 of the book of Luke, uh, we read about his birth and, and then uh, uh, the shepherds come and everybody's singing praise and it's a great day for them. And uh, it's been a, you know, it's been kind of a, a rocky nine months uh, for them. Uh, the, the traveling from Nazareth to Bethlehem when she's like eight months, 29 days pregnant, something like that. That's not a pleasant thing. Uh, no hotel, got to stay in a cave, have your baby, uh, put him in a feeding trough uh, for the manger. And, uh, and now all of a sudden when you find yourself in Bethlehem, we just say, well, let's just stay here and let's, let's kind of get a new start. So we find a place to live and, and we're trying to get this new start. And eight days after the birth, we go up to the temple and, and Jesus gets circumcised and we come back and we start getting into life. And then after 33 days, uh, we go back up there for a purification uh, ceremony. And so as they go to the temple, Jesus is about 40 days old and it's a purification uh, for Mary. And while they're there, their paths intersect a man by the name of Simeon. And Simeon is a devout believer, comes to worship a lot, and, and uh, strong in his walk with God. And God told him that before you die, you will see the Christ. And so he's always been looking for him. And he knows that God had promised him that he would see the Christ before he died. Well, when they came up on that day to bring their child up there, Simeon just happened to be there. Now, Walker Moore would say the chances of that are what? 100%. <laughs> and sure enough, that's what happened. And it says here in verse 27, And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms, and he blessed God, and he said. So what he did was he took their baby, and he held their baby, and then this is what he said. Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace. Translate Alabama, take me home now. I'm, I've seen it all. This is what I want to see. According to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Well, that's kind of a nice thing to say about your baby. And um, I think Mary and Joseph liked it because in verse 33 it says, And his father and his mother marveled as what was said about him. That is so kind and so sweet to say that about our baby uh, over here. But as often happens in church, then they share some other stuff with you. 
And uh, his next words that he shares are not the most comforting words. They're true, but they're not the most comforting. He then looks to Mary the mother, and he says, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. What he means by that, through this child, there will be people who will rise up to salvation because they accept him, and there are people that will fall down into judgment because they reject him. So because of this child, there will be a rising and a falling of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. Now, in our language, that doesn't make much sense. For a sign that is opposed. The phrasing and use of that word means it's an inherent characteristic of this child. And that is that within this child, there will be people that will oppose him. There will be those that accept him. There will be those that will oppose him. It is just his nature. And it will not only happen today, it will happen throughout his life. And it will continue on into the future. And that is true. There will be people that will reject him. There will be people that will mock him. They will beat him and they will crucify him. And today, people will blaspheme. They will curse him and they will mock him. He is a sign that is to be opposed. He said, that is his life. That's what's going to happen. But then, it's a parenthetical expression in the scripture. And he's looking at Mary and he says, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. A sword will pierce through your own soul. Well, if you think about a cutting instrument, you could take everything from a knife to a dagger to a sword. The word that's used here is a word like a javelin. Yikes. All right, so just picture someone saying, it's a javelin's going to go through your heart. Aren't we glad we came to church today, is what Mary's saying right now. And he said, it's going to just pierce your soul. It's like a javelin going right through your soul. Well, part of that is a parent. Whenever a child feels pain, a parent feels at times too. Amen? And we all do. And so he knows that when your son is being rejected, you're going to experience that rejection too, and you're going to feel it even worse. How about the time when uh, Jesus was, um, and his popularity was growing and growing, and everybody in Galilee was talking about him, and he comes over here to Nazareth, and he comes to his hometown to preach in church, and as he started preaching, people were amening him, and then all of a sudden, they began to realize who he was, and then they began to shout back at him, and they began to talk him down, and they ran him out of town and almost tried to kill him. What do you think that did to his mom? If I was invited to come back to Briar Lake Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia, where I grew up, my mom would just be beaming from, uh, from ear to ear. And if I stood up and started to preach, she'd just be there all proud. And then halfway through the sermon, they start yelling back at me. And before the thing's over, they're chasing me out, running me out of town, jumping me on I-85. What do you think that'd do to my mom? She'd be crushed forever. And you see, this is what Mary was going to experience. And he said, you're going to have like a javelin that's going to go, go through your heart. And see, she was the only one that was there at his birth and was also there at his death. Hey, but I got good news for you. She was also the only one that was there at his birth, there at his death, and there at his resurrection. See, she got to cover all three of them. So even though Javelin went through the heart, in in the end, she got to have the smile because she saw the resurrected Christ and then ascended to heaven. And then the last thing he says is so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. What it says is when it comes to the person of Jesus Christ, the thoughts of the heart will be revealed. That means that whatever you're thinking, it's going to come out in words. It's going to come out in actions. Either you're going to be for him or you're going to be against him. You're either going to accept him or you're going to reject him. 
You're going to be a Judas to where you're going to betray him. Then you're going to take your own life. You're going to be a Peter who's going to deny him, but then repent and be restored. There'll be a cross, uh, a thief on one side of the cross who will curse him and die. There'll be a thief on the other side of the cross who will cry out for salvation. And Jesus will say, today you'll be with me in paradise. He said, those thoughts will be revealed. That's something. This little baby, about 40 days old, he says, this is the child that I'm holding right here. Wow. If you take that same child and then you fast forward 33 years, you come to Luke chapter 22 and you come to the Passover meal or what we call the Last Supper. And as you come to this Last Supper, it is him sitting with his disciples and he has lived out what Simeon has said would happen. He's seen people accept him. He's seen people reject him. And now he's getting ready to get to the pinnacle of that rejection. And he knows he's getting ready to be arrested that night. He's going to be beaten. And then the next day, he'll be crucified. And so he has this meal with with his disciples. And it's a Passover meal. They're accustomed to this. They grew up with this. They have the same meal every year at Passover. But this time in the midst of the meal, Jesus begins to talk about it in a different way. And he says, there are elements in this meal that are going to have significance. And so for us today, I want us to take a look back to the cross because that's exactly what he is doing. And he says to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Before I suffer. So what's going to happen? Drops down a little bit, verse 19. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He took that bread and when he broke it, he says, men, my body is getting ready to be broken for you. I want you to know that. And when you see me being beaten and whipped and the nails go through my hand and I'm going to be on a cross suspended between heaven and earth, he says, my body is being broken and it's for you. It's for the sins of the world. My body is being broken. Then he came back in verse 20 and he says, and likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. This cup represents the new covenant in my blood. And they understood about blood and covenants because there was the covenant through the sacrificial system that you would come and bring your sacrifice, and it's like you've got your sins there on the altar, and the blood is pours over, and it covers your sins. And so all of a sudden, your sins are forgiven. And Jesus, in essence, is saying, hey, guys, the sacrificial system is getting ready to end Because there's a new covenant. I am the perfect sacrifice. And I'm going to give my blood for your sins. Do this in remembrance of me. So whenever you eat of this meal, when you break the bread, think about my body that was broken for you. Whenever you drink the cup, think of my blood which was shed for you. For the forgiveness of sin. For this new covenant. And so when we come in just a few moments and partake of the Lord's Supper, we do that looking back at the cross, thankful for what Jesus has done. But we also look forward to his return. And he told his disciples, he says, For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he is talking about the future and talking about the wedding feast of the Lamb. And at the second coming and and that uh, when we have this incredible wedding feast to where the bride of Christ, which is the church, comes and meets with, with Christ. Just an incredible time he says that's what we want to focus on and he says one day i'm coming back and i'm coming back for my bride and um and when i come back for my bride i want her to be ready 
Now, I've done a lot of weddings, and, uh, and every time that I've done one, the bride is usually always ready. Now, there are a few little things at the end that everyone's always got to get worked out. But she's got the dress picked out. She's got the makeup on. She's styling, profiling, looking good, and, and, and just feels like this is her special day. The bride is ready. And he says, we are the bride of Christ. And I was thinking, I was preparing this message. I said, you know, I've done a lot of weddings. And I've seen a lot of brides. But naturally, the most beautiful bride I saw stood right here on May 13th, 1978. My wife, Janice. And we were standing right here is where we got married uh, over here. And, uh, and, and I told her during the whole ceremony, you're so beautiful. You're so beautiful. You're so beautiful. <laughs> it was great. Okay. So we, but you know, every bride. I mean, every bride you see is just flat out beautiful. And I tell every groom, and they'll be standing right here. And I said, hey, I got to tell you something. I said, you got all these uh, other gals, these bridesmaids that are coming down. Just let them pass through. They're fine. I said, all you want to do is look for that one person. Just look for that one bride. I said, it will be the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. I'll never forget one of the guys I told that to me okay and so he sits there and he's looking she comes all the way down her dad brings her down and her dad brings her down as soon as they get down here then he turns and when he turned he looked at me and says you're right (laughs) and so we are to be the bride for christ which means that we're going to need to be as clean as can be and it says that, uh, that to be dressed in, in fine linens and then the scripture says in the fine linens are the righteous deeds And so whenever we come to the table, there's really those three looks. We need to look back at the cross and be thankful for what Christ did for us. We look forward to one day when he's returning, and we need to look to the present to say, you know, Lord, I want to be ready for that day. I want to be prepared. I want to be that bride of Christ. I want to have a life that is full of righteousness and to be ready for you. So in just a few moments, when we prepare for the Lord's Supper, it starts with looking at our own hearts and um, asking God to point out the things within us that we know are not in keeping with his word. And say, God, I want to confess these things to you and ask you to forgive me and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And then we come forward here at the table and we sit here and, and we take through the elements. And so at this time, I'm going to ask our committee uh, that is here, if y'all would come forward and, and just at least get the tops off here and, and get us set up. And I, I'm going to give you some instructions. In just a moment, I, I will lead us in a word of prayer. And as soon as I say amen, then we ask you, you've got some different stations over here. Some have got chairs where if you want to sit. Some, you can either stand or kneel. And, uh, and just gather together and partake of the Lord's Supper. The handout that you have, if you bring that on the back of it, it has listed the scripture passage and about how to take the bread and then how to take the cup. And we will invite you just to come down. When you see an area that's open, just go over there, serve yourself. And once you've finished and had that time together, then just go back go back to your seat. If you're here by yourself, just latch on to some other people and say, hey, can I come with you and sit right here? That's why we call it a family Lord's Supper. We're all part of God's family, and we invite you to come and to be a part of that. So I want to lead us in a word of prayer. And as soon as I say amen, we ask you to begin to move to the different stations. And I pray it'll be a very special time for you and also for your family. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that during the Christmas season, 
we can celebrate the birth of Christ and uh, the fact that uh, you stepped out of heaven and onto earth and 100% man and 100% God. And, and as we read in the New Testament, we just get energized and excited uh, about the teachings and the miracles and, 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 and all that you showed us about the love of the Father. But yet we are always having to have a sobering thought knowing that your purpose for coming was to die for our sins. And we're so unworthy. And, and, and it's something that, that you did not have to do, but you chose to do because you love us so much. And so tonight, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, all the things that we've talked about, may we have those in mind, but may we also be thinking about how much love you have to go to the cross for us. And may we love you back by living a life that is obedient to your commands. May we be righteous servants of yours. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your life. Thank you for your death. Thank you for your resurrection. And thank you that one day you're coming back. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.